Today, as I mentioned before, we are continuing our four-part series, Get Connected. So last week we talked about getting connected with God's plan, His eternal plan of salvation that uh, He has worked out for us from the creation of the world and even before through the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is a plan that, uh, that we are privileged to proclaim with our mouths and with our lives. Today we will get connected with God's new life as we look at specific ways that Paul gives us to do just that in our text from Ephesians. So as we do that, our theme verse is going to be the very first verse from that text uh, that Tom read for us, uh, verse chapter one or chapter four, verse one. Uh, let's read this together. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So we're going to jump right in. Let's, uh, let's break this down. Paul is urging us to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. But before we can live a life worthy of that calling, we have to understand what that calling is. Well, last week we spent quite a bit of time talking about God's plan for us. And as luck would have it, that is the very same thing as the calling that we have received. As we looked at that plan last week, uh, we spent just a little bit of time in Ephesians chapter 2, and today I'd like to spend just a moment looking at uh, two of our favorite verses as Lutherans from that same chapter, uh, verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. There's your calling, plain and simple. You are called to salvation by the free gift of God through faith in his son. It's a free gift. It's done. It's yours. Now what? Well, now God wants you to live a life worthy of that calling. In the very next verse in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul makes this incredibly clear. He says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, the story doesn't end with the receiving of that free gift of salvation that God's given to us. He wants us to do something as a result of it. This doesn't mean that we earn our salvation, not, not even a little bit of it. Paul's very clear uh, in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 and, and elsewhere. But it also doesn't mean that once we're saved, it no longer matters what we do or how we live. Just the opposite, actually. As the famous saying goes, we are saved by faith alone, but faith is, anybody know? Never alone. We are saved by faith alone, but faith is never alone. It is always accompanied by actions that show our love for Jesus and our gratitude for his gift. Faith's necessary companion is a life that is worthy of the calling that we've received. So what does such a worthy life look like? As we open up to our text in Ephesians and move past verse 1 into uh, 17 through 32, Paul starts out by telling us what, what that, uh, that life does not look like. In verse 17 he says, You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now in Paul's context what he's saying is that as Christians our lives should not follow the patterns of this, of this world, of mainstream society, of those who know nothing of God's word. Paul is telling the Ephesians to abandon the idolatry that was prevalent in their culture, and he's telling us to do the same thing today. He's saying, don't go with the flow. 
don't jump on the latest bandwagon. Don't, don't worship the latest Apple device. It's actually as far from, from the latest. But though people in our, in our post-Christian world see themselves as incredibly enlightened, Paul says that they are in fact darkened in their understanding, oblivious to the things of God, distracted by, by shiny objects and age-old deception and ignorance offered up in shiny new packaging. Paul says that in this way, those without Christ have actually lost all sensitivity. If we take just a second and step back and look at our culture, we see that this is true. We are a desensitized people, desensitized to violence on on primetime TV and in video games that young kids play, desensitized to the blatant and celebrated adultery that is promoted by shows like The Bachelor, books like Fifty Shades of Grey, desensitized to the ever more rapidly unraveling and disintegrating immorality in our country as newspapers and popular websites treat sin as normal or even liberating and we all cheer and play along. Sad to say, we Christians often find ourselves a bit desensitized, a bit too at home with the corruption of the world around us, a bit too comfortable with the depravity of our own hearts. This is not what a life worthy of our calling looks like. So what does it look like? Well, the first fill-in-your-blank that you have in your sermon outline there in the sermon notes uh, could be filled in with any number of words. So take your pick. A worthy life is a standout life. A worthy life is a holy life. A worthy life is a new life. Hey, that's the title of the sermon today. But despite that, I'm going to go with a worthy life is a different life because in verse 20 of our reading, Paul draws a sharp contrast between the people of this world and the people of God. You, however, Paul says, did not come to know Christ that way. The point is our lives are supposed to stick out like a lighthouse towering over rocky shores. This has always been God's expectation for his people. Back in Exodus 19, he told Israel that they were to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They were supposed to be set apart. That's what holy means. Sometimes they did a good job of standing out. Much of the time they failed and failed miserably. How about us? How often do we compare our manner of life to see if it is really markedly different from those, uh, the, the way the, the world around us lives? Even more, how often do we compare our lives with the gospel of Christ to see if they are worthy of what he has done for us? It's a very high and and actually impossible standard. But take a second and ask yourself, what about my daily life is different, truly, really different, because I am a Christian? I'd imagine that that's a very challenging and convicting question for every single one of us. Sometimes we do a good job of standing out. Much of the time we fail and fail miserably. What are we to do? Well, Martin Luther gives us somewhere to turn in the way he talks about the role of baptism in our daily life. Last week we were privileged to to be a part of the baptism of Nash Cleary. And I mentioned last week how baptism has, has certainly eternal, but also in this life, lifelong implications. In his small catechism, Luther talks about this. He writes there, 
that the old Adam in us should, by daily, daily contrition and repentance, be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires. And a new man should daily emerge and rise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Here Luther is essentially summing up what the scriptures say of baptism, especially in Romans chapter 6, where Paul writes that in baptism we were buried with Christ, so that just as he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk about in newness of life. Every day then we live baptismally, daily, admitting before God where we have failed, drowning our sins, and coming up out of the water to serve God in purity and love, taking hold, taking hold of and getting connected with God's new life. In this way, we live as disciples of Jesus. In verse 20, where Paul says, You, however, did not come to know Christ in that way. The word for come to know is emathita. It's, it's from the Greek verb that the word disciple actually comes from. Being baptized means living as a disciple of Jesus daily, learning from him and emulating him in all we do. And Paul gives us some very practical, very specific instructions on how to do that today. These instructions uh, Paul sums up in two basic steps, steps that we've already hinted at by uh, hearing what Luther has to say about baptism. We live God's different new life by first putting off our old self, as Paul says, and then by putting on the new self. So let's take a look at how Paul fleshes each of these out. In putting off the old self, God is urging us to get rid of everything that reeks of who we were before he washed us clean in baptism and gave us his spirit. Things like falsehood, anger, stealing, unwholesome talk, bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice. As you look at this list up here, do you recognize any of these as something you need to get rid of in your life? Are you free from falsehood? Or is it possible that sometimes you speak half-truths about someone else in order to prop yourself up? Maybe sometimes you, you manipulate other people's feelings, whether for good or for bad. Maybe you hide who you truly are because you're afraid of what people might think about your faith. Do you ever give in to anger and, and let it lead you to sin, walking away from an argument instead of loving when it gets tough? Maybe you're pretty sure that stealing is not something that tempts you, but do you ever steal a little time away during your workday to look at Facebook instead of doing the job you're getting paid to do? Does unwholesome talk ever escape your lips in the form of, of vulgar words or inappropriate jokes, commenting on, on how hot or how attractive another person is, gossiping? Or maybe even the worst of all of these, leaving cutting remarks in the comment sections online. How about that list at the bottom there? Do you take offense maybe a little too quickly and then uh, go on the offensive? At times, I think, I think all of us are guilty of, of any of these things, maybe, maybe even all of these things. God is calling us to something higher, something far, far better, to shed this old self of ours, and to put on the new self that has been given to us through Christ Jesus, the calling that we've received through him. And so getting rid of falsehood, we speak truthfully, being real with people, willing to be open and, and honest and vulnerable so that the love of Christ can truly dwell in us and be made known through us. Instead of anger, we show patience 
and love. Instead of stealing, we, we work and we seek to help provide for others. Instead of unwholesome talk that tears people down, we build others up through encouraging words and uh, humble instruction and accountability and speaking highly of people every chance we get. In all of this, the kindness, the compassion, the forgiveness of our God shows through as, as we care, as we really, truly care for other people and love them no matter what. Living God's new life in this way requires being made new in the attitude of your mind, not being conformed to the patterns of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of that mind, taking on a disposition toward other people that mirrors the gracious disposition that God has toward you. This is how to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. This is what Jesus was talking about in John 15, when he tells his disciples and us that we are the branches, he is the vine, we are the branches, and we are to bear fruit. And so everything we accomplish is due only to his grace and by his power. And we're pretty good at saying that, aren't we? We're pretty good at recognizing that everything we do is all the work of God, that we really don't take credit for any of it. And that's true. We are saved entirely by grace. And uh, even in our sanctification, as we grow more like Jesus, uh, God is doing the work through us. But there is commitment and effort involved on our part. And we shouldn't forget that. As I was reflecting on this, um, a song came to mind from my childhood uh, back when, uh, I'm a little ashamed to admit this, but maybe some of you will be sad that I've changed, back when I used to like country music. Um, and uh, the chorus went like this, so maybe we can help with the volume back there if it's too loud or too quiet. Those of you who don't like country music, I, I do apologize. Um, but that's a sweet and tender love song, right? Right? Until you realize that what it's offering is a half-hearted commitment. Those of you who are married, or maybe those of you who are, who are going to be getting married soon, how would you feel if your spouse on your wedding day said, I'll try in your marriage vows? Marriage doesn't work that way, does it? <laughs> It just, it just doesn't. For something to be real, for something to be a commitment for life, you have to be all in. To live a worthy life, you have to be all in. We learned this in, uh, in Star Wars, actually, from Yoda as well. All right, I'll give it a try. No, try not. Do or do not. There is no try. It's a wise little uh, whatever he is, right? I'm sure my wife could tell me exactly what he is. Uh, here in Ephesians, as Paul talks about God's new life for us, he doesn't tell us to try. He tells us to do it. Jesus, too. He doesn't let us off the hook. This isn't optional. Jesus gets all of you. There's no other way. In his commentary on Ephesians, Martin Luther, back to him, Martin Luther writes about how in Ephesians, Paul first lays out the, the grand plan of God's plan of salvation. 
And then Luther says, he goes on to teach us how we are to practice and to prove our faith with good works. To practice and to prove our faith with good works. Just as a husband and a wife practice and prove their love for one another each day, not trying, but loving and doing. More on that next week, by the way, as we look at God's gift of family. Now, this doesn't mean that our lives are going to be perfect, just as no marriage on this earth is perfect. But we are committed to Jesus and his cause for life and beyond. There's a moving scene in the movie Braveheart where Sir Robert the Bruce uh, has just come back from a battle where he has betrayed the hero of the film, William Wallace. He is riddled with remorse, but he refuses to stay there and he recommits himself to the cause he he had abandoned. Take a look. Those men who bled the ground red at Falkirk, they fought for William Wallace and he fights for something that I've never had. And I took it from him when I betrayed him and I saw it in his face on the battlefield. And it's tearing me apart. All men betray. All lose heart. I don't want to lose heart! I want to believe as he does. I will never be on the wrong side again. What an inspiration this can be for us if we apply it to God's new life. Sometimes you may fall down, betray, lose heart, but never be satisfied with your old self. Let your faith, your dedication to the cause of freedom in Christ be as tenacious and unrelenting as that of Sir Robert the Bruce. May the new attitude of your mind say every day, I don't want to lose heart. I want to believe. And I will never be on the wrong side again. Why? Paul gives us the motivation for all of this in the final verse of our reading. Be kind and compassionate to one another, he says, forgiving each other just as God in Christ forgave you. Why do we live God's new life? Because in Christ, God forgave us. And so, though it's a tall order to live our life worthy of our calling, we don't need to be afraid that we haven't lived up to it. As the song says, there is no guilt in life, no fear in death. But we do let God's call inspire us and push us and make us more like Jesus until the day we see him face to face. In his name, amen. And once again, as Paul ends the book of Ephesians, we end our time together today. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Amen.